Well, this is our second week in our three-week series on praying kingdom prayers. Uh, last week, if you were here, we saw how Jesus taught us how to pray. That's what the Lord's Prayer is, by the way. It's the Lord teaching us how to pray. And uh, what we saw, or hope what we see, is that the Lord's Prayer is not just something about that we memorize, that we repeat, though it's an r- amazing help in your prayer time. The Lord's Prayer is actually a model. It's a model of how we're to address God and how we're to make our requests known to Him. And what we saw last week is that the first two requests, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come, the first two requests are not about us. The heart that we come to God with is not hearts that are about us. There are hearts about His name being hallowed or set apart, about His name being set apart, His kingdom coming. And what we saw is right out of the gate, those, those requests, those two requests, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Those requests kind of sift us. They sift our desires because what we're saying is, God, my, the biggest, greatest desire of my heart is that your kingdom, your rule, your reign would come and not mine. What do you desire most? What do you really desire most? When you think like, if I had that, Man, my life would be good. If I had that, if I had that person, that kind of respect from them, that amount in my bank account, I lived in this place, I had this possession, if I, if I could achieve this in my career, if I could finish this degree, what is the that in your life that you think, if I just got that, man, everything would be okay. Jesus says that our greatest desire, our greatest prayer should be that his kingdom, God's kingdom, his rule and reign would come. Yeah, in the future, whenever he returns, absolutely, but also here and now. I want you to hear that this morning. I want you to hear this. This isn't just a series to fill a few weeks in August. This is the beating heart of true Christianity. Our Father... Who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. And if that isn't your true desire, then what I hope that you hear in this is not a condemnation, but what I want you to hear is that you need to seek God as to why not. If your greatest desire isn't reflected in the first three requests of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, then you need to seek God as to why not. Why don't I, why don't I really want him to rule every single part of my life? Why don't I, don't, why don't I want him to determine everything about my life? What am I afraid of? Why don't I trust him? And to ask him to change your heart so it would reflect his. And then if this does reflect your true desire. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
If it does reflect your true desire, if it gets your heart pumping and burdens your soul to see how little his kingdom seems to be coming in our day, how little his kingdom seems to be coming in your neighborhood and in your family and in our city, then this is your call to pray. To really call out to our Father in heaven to hallow or make glorious his name and cause his kingdom to come here and now in our households, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in Myrtle Beach and Conway and Horry County and beyond. Now, this week's the request that we're looking at this week, it goes a little bit deeper. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, then your will be done. It goes deeper. This request goes deeper because your, king, your will be done, your will be done, deals with our actions. Your kingdom come deals with our desires. God, that's what I really want to see is your rule and reign happen. Your will be done deals with my actions. So here's what I want us to start with this. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room, whether I know you or not personally, everyone in this room is full of restlessness and longing. If you're honest with yourself, you are full of restlessness and longing. No matter how satisfied you might seem to be in your career, your life, your house, no matter how content you seem to be whenever you lay in bed at night, whenever you wake up in the morning, when you have those quiet moments and something really captures your soul, when you are aware that you have deep within you restlessness and longing. I know that about you. You are restless. You have some kind of itch that you can't seem to scratch. You have some sort of craving that you can't seem to name. And that's true of every single person in this room. And if you're here and you aren't a Christian, or you aren't sure if you are or not, it's true of you. It's why you're here. You have a restlessness in your soul, a longing, an ache that you can't honestly deny. You long for more in life. Don't you long for more in life? Aren't you afraid that this is it? You long, here's what you long for, a life of meaning and purpose. And it's certainly true if you're a Christian here today. If you're a Christian in this room today, most of you I know, a lot of you I know, not all of you, you have a restlessness. Perhaps even stronger than the non-Christian, that you have a longing, perhaps even stronger than the non-Christian. Most Christians I know are actually racked with restlessness and longing. No matter how busy their lives may be, underneath it all, they feel a listlessness. This can't be all there is. This can't be all there is. And here's my premise for us this morning. The restlessness, whether you're a Christian or not. The restlessness that you long, that you feel, and the longing that you feel in your soul is actually a longing to do the will of God. That's what you're longing for. That's why you feel restless. And my belief is that most Christians I know have a constant ache. They constantly feel restless because something within them desires to do the will of God above their own, but they aren't doing it. That's really the premise. Most Christians I know have a restlessness and a longing within their soul to do the will of God because they aren't doing it. 
And that's because you were created to worship God. And a primary way that we worship him showed the primary way that we show and and appreciate how worthy he is, is by preferring his will over our will. The primary way that we worship him, the primary way that we show how worthy he is, is by preferring his will over our own, by doing his will rather than ours. And that's because that's why you're created. It's built into your DNA. We are ultimately restless until we are obeying the call of God to obey him in our daily lives. But if that's true, if it's wired into our DNA at creation, to prefer the will of God over ours, to do his will. We are made to worship him by doing his will, by following him and obeying him and showing how worthy and amazing and wonderful he is. Wouldn't we just naturally do it? If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, wouldn't he just make sure his will always gets done? In other words... Why pray for God's will to be done? If, we're, if it's wired into our soul, a longing to do his will, and if he's all-powerful and all-knowing, why should we have to pray for his will to be done? You see, this is important, and you have to keep this in mind. The Bible teaches us this fact, and it's really easy for us to forget, but it's this fact, that ever since the fall, there have been myriads of wills at work in this world. Ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve fell and sin entered humanity and sin entered the world, there's been myriads of wills at work in this world. It's the wills of Satan and all the forces of evil, and it's the will of every single individual human being. And here's the truth about those wills. All of them are opposed to God. Satan and his forces of evil, absolutely. But fallen mankind, fallen men and women, from the oldest to the youngest, from the richest to the poorest, no matter what nationality or ethnicity they are, no matter how naturally good or bad they seem to be, you know what is true? At the core of all of us, we have a will that's opposed to God. Your will is naturally broken. Part of you, Somewhere inside you knows that you should love and obey God alone. Man, I know that I should. But you know what else I work in there? But I don't want to. That's what you and I say. That's the echo in all of our hearts. We hear it in our little kids. I don't want to do that. But it just reflects the echo that's always continuing in our soul. I don't want to do what you want me to do. There are myriads of wills at work. Every single human being, Satan and his forces of evil, and they are all opposed to God. And that is the fundamental problem if you have not experienced the new birth. If you are, you might carry the name Christian, you might have been around Christianity, but if you have not yet experienced the new birth, if you have not been born again, given the ability by God to repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in him alone, 
to bow your knee to God alone as your king and your Lord and place all your trust in Christ alone to be your savior. If that hasn't happened, then your will is broken. It is set against God and you cannot change it. But God can. I want you to hear that this morning. You cannot change your will, but God can. When you see your need for a savior, when you confess and repent of your sin, turning away from your sin, when you call out to Jesus to save you and give your, and, and give your, your, give your life to him and give him the ability to rule over your life, whenever you do that, God's Holy Spirit is given to you and he remakes your will. You will immediately, whenever that happens in you, you will immediately, from your heart, desire to do God's will. If that's you, if that's you, you know what God's will is for you today? His will for you today is bow your knee to him, confess your sin, and confess him alone as your Lord and King. Don't resist him. Don't even wait till I'm done preaching this sermon Do it now. But then, whenever you're a believer, you'll find that you want to do God's will. You guys that are believers, you experience that, right? All of a sudden, you experience a change. One moment, you only want to do your your will. I don't want to do what you want me to do. Then something changes inside you, and you find, I want to do God's will. But you know what you else find out inside you? Is that you find that there's two natures inside you, don't you? There's maybe the core, it's, it's the most core part of you that says, I want, Lord, I want to do your will. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life and my family and my community. Like, may your kingdom come. Your will be done. I want your will to, to come. But yet you also find inside yourself uh, your old nature, which still desires to do your will. And that's where we find the need for this prayer. We need God's help for his will to be done in our lives. Your will be done. We need God's help. We need his help even to know and to do his will. So if that's true, then what exactly are we praying for when we pray for his will to be done? Is it just some sort of nebulous thing like, God, you want me to go to the post office now or the grocery store? God, do you want me to forgive this person that cut me off in the line at Chick-fil-A or not forgive them? Well, that's, that's pretty clear. Like, do you want me to go fried or grilled? Please say fried. There, there are some things that we don't know for certain. There are a lot of questions. What's his will about a lot of things? Uh, should I buy or rent, move or stay, uh, go to college or enter a trade? Uh, some things that are unclear. We don't know. We trust that God guides us and leads us as believers. But there, are, there is absolute clarity on the bigger things. The bigger things that are so big that they set the theme for our life. He may not make it absolutely black and white clear whether you should go to coastal or should go to tech. But 
he can make some things very, very clear that set the theme and the direction for our lives. I'm going to run through things here. We don't have a chance to dive into these things, but if you're keeping notes, it'd be good to jot down. Uh, these would be things to pray for whenever you're praying. Lord, your will be, will be done. What's God's great will? What's his big picture will? What is God doing in the world? What's he doing in creation? Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. In him, that's Christ. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And I could rejoice at that or preach on that. But look at this, verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of the time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You know what his big picture will is he's doing on the earth? He is glorifying his son, Jesus Christ, by uniting all things under his good rule and reign. That's what he's doing. He's glorifying his son. But what's God's will for you? Hey, Randy, that's cool, but what's God's will for me? Jesus makes that pretty clear as well. Matthew 22, 35 through 40. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, the leader of the Jews, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, hear this. This is the commandment. You shall love, not just obey. Not just do some things for. You shall love from your heart. You shall love the Lord your God, with all of your heart. Most of it, all of it. All of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Can you see how deep that commandment goes? You see how deep his will is for you? His will isn't for you just to do some things for him. His will is that you would love him and not only love him, that you would love him with every fiber of your being, that every thought and emotion and action that you do would be bathed in and come from a springboard of love for him above all things. And there's and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how, how do you love your neighbor as yourself? That's his will for us. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's his will for us. That we would love him with every fiber of our being and that we would love and care for. Not just like, not just get along with, not just do some things for. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's his will for you. What else is his will? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, he says, this is the will of God your sanctification. His will, that's, that word sanctification means to grow more and more in the likeness of Jesus. So that as a believer, day after day, week after week, year after year, you begin to look more and more like Christ. Your actions, your emotions, your words begin to more and more line up with what Christ would be like. If you're a husband or a wife, you'd be a husband and wife as if Christ was. You'd be a parent, you'd be a child, you'd be a student, you'd be a worker, you'd be a business owner, you'd be a tradesman, you'd be a plumber, you'd be whatever he has called you to be as if Christ was in that role. 
Not all at once, but more and more along along your sanctification. That's God's will for you. I don't know whether he wants you to go to college or he wants you to change jobs or he wants you to move or he wants you to sell your house. I don't know those things, but here's what I know. He wants you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, your neighbor as yourself, and to grow daily in sanctification until you're looking more and more like him. And you know what? If we obey him and follow him in those will, if if he is able to guide us and help us so that that will is done in us, that actually answers a lot of questions. It closes some doors and opens some others. And you know what? Other places where we don't know if we're going right, you're going to be okay. If you're choosing a husband or wife and you're saying, Lord, I love you with all of my heart, soul, and mind, and I'm loving this person, my neighbor, as myself, you know what? And it falls within that umbrella, you're going to be okay in the individual will. But most of us want the answers to these questions without setting the theme for our life in these bigger ones. What's his will for his church? What's his will for you? What's his will for his church? Do you ever think about what, what's, your, what's your will for the church? Well, why do we exist? Why does doxa exist? Why does the church in general exist? Well, this is what sanctification looks like. But it gets played out in the church. Romans 12, 9 through 13. I'm going to run through this. This is what he says to the church. Let love be genuine. This is his will for you and the church. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's a long list, but that's his will for us as the church. You know what his will for the church is? Is that we would look, and there's more to that list. I didn't even list it. That is that we would so look like that. Growing day by day, not all at once, but growing day by day, even as a church, that we would so look like that, that we would reflect the community and the family of God to the people around us. So they can say, I don't know if I want to serve Jesus Christ, but there must be something to him. There must be something valid there because your community does not look like my community. Your family does not look like my family. Perfect? Not at all. The whole New Testament is written to imperfect churches, but churches that are growing reflect this nature and character of God. You know what's his will for his church? What, what else is his will for the church? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, that's cool. What next? Can you imagine, like, God saying to you, hey, I've got all authority, so I've got something I want you to do. I I would get kind of excited because I think that's something I can't fail in. I can fail at a lot of things, but that's something I couldn't fail in. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And just in case you didn't get it, when I said all authority has been given to me, I'm telling you this. 
And lo, behold, I am with you always. I'm not even sending you with my authority like a letter. I'm sending you with my authority in my presence. This is my will for you. That's his will for the church. Do you care about that? Do you care if the church looks like the community of faith, the family of faith that he's called us to be? Do you care if we fulfill this call upon us? That, see, that, that command, that call, that will of God includes you if you're a believer. If you profess Christ as your Savior and your Lord, this is your great mission. I don't know whether you should launch a business or whether you should go work for somebody, but here's what I know. Your great mission, your overarching theme of your life is to be a part of the church that is fulfilling his call to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, making disciples and baptizing them to to observe, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us and knowing that he goes with us himself. It's a, it is a command that's given to us by Christ Jesus himself. And you know what that means? It means it's not a great chore. It's not a weight of guilt. You know what it means if that's true? It means it's a great responsibility and it's a great joy. We get to share in the mission of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To all of mankind. And look what that's connected to. Ephesians 3, 9 through 10. Last one. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. Hidden for ages in God who created all things. Listen to this. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's God's will for the church. God's will for the church is that we would so embody his mission and so embody his nature and character that all of creation around us and even the cosmic rulers and authorities, things that are beyond us that we can't even understand, that we would be demonstrating to them the wisdom of God in our midst. With this prayer, Jesus is saying that God's will The things that we just covered should be the primary driving factor in what we do, when we do it, why we do it, and how we do it. To love God with every fiber of my being, to love my neighbor as myself, to pursue sanctification and growing in him, to see that his church reflects his nature and character and see that we fulfill the great mission that he's given us. And those things, that's what we mean when we say, your will be done. See, it's a loaded phrase. And what we're saying is, God, Father, those things should be, must be, they must become more and more the primary driving factor in what I do, when I do it, how I do it, where I do it. And here's what I know. You can bet then that when God shows you his will for you, that it will absolutely have to do with you taking your place in his mission of redemption. That's what I'm saying. And what that means is this prayer, your will be done, is a prayer of wrestling. Remember what I said about Christians having two natures? See, those natures are at war within you. 
That's, I know that about you. There's a war within, within me. But my core, my being, I want his kingdom to come and his will to be done. I want his will to be my will. I want to follow his will and obey his will. And yet I feel also this other side of me that's wrestling. One of those, one of those sides is winning in you right now. One of those sides is winning. And do you see what's at stake with being lackadaisical and letting your old nature win? <clears throat> when I say one side is winning, I mean, I mean what you really are living for. What will you're obeying in your daily life? Not conceptually, but in actuality. What is your answer to these questions to God? Picture yourself asking these questions to God. Do I care if I obey you or not? Maybe you can ask that question to God right now. God, do I really care if I obey you or not? Do I really care if I'm growing in grace? Do I care about your church fulfilling its mission? Do I care? Do I truly love lost people? I think if most of us answer those questions honestly, then we know our life requires change. I think if most of us answer those questions honestly, I think most of us have to own our life has to change. It will require a change. And it will require, I want to tell you this, it will require what looks like and feels like great sacrifice. Your will be done is a prayer of wrestling because we know it requires sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to put my will in subjection under God's will. It's a sacrifice to put my dreams under subjection to God's will. It's a a sacrifice to put my security and my comfort in subjection under God's will. See, there's supposed to be a wrestling. I don't want you to feel condemned if there's a wrestling within you. It's supposed to be a wrestling. We're supposed to count the cost. We're supposed to count the cost. Sure, he has a will for you about what school you attend, who you date, who you marry, what career field you enter, what job you take, when you have kids and how many kids you'll have, if you should buy a house or move to a different area. But I can promise you this. I know this from scripture and I know it from church history and I know it from my own experience. God is far more concerned with you taking on his mission. He is far more concerned about you conforming to his will than he is about conforming to your will or your mission. And it's not because He's some kind of unfeeling tyrant. It's because he deeply loves you. If you're a believer, you're his child now. 
He calls you in scripture. He calls you his heir along with Christ Jesus. You're his heir. You're his child. And just like Jesus, the father calls you into the family business. Just like Jesus, he calls you into the family business, the father's business. It's like, but you know what doing that is like? It's like taking on a new identity. It's like putting on a new cloak. You're putting on a new role in the family business as a child of the king. It's a role of great privilege. It's a role of great adventure. It's a role of great responsibility. But it is a taking off. And a putting on. It's a taking off what has been your will and a taking on his will, his role, his mission for your life. It is a wrestling though. It takes an honest wrestling with God in prayer. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Jesus in the garden. He taught us to pray, your will be done. But then he said in the garden, whenever he's facing death, facing betrayal, facing pain, facing whatever separation from the father looked like for him, whenever he's staring down that barrel, he said this, he said, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Do you hear the wrestling there? He wrestled in the garden. That's what he was wrestling with. I don't want, I don't want this cup that is in front, in front of me. I don't want to face this down. I don't want to go through with this. I don't want this, God. Father, I don't want this. I want to do your will, but I don't want this. And that's a prayer that's repeated throughout the Bible. Because it's a prayer that should be repeated in every person and in different phases of every person's life. See, your answer to that prayer last year won't suffice today. It must be today. His will being yours today. Jesus told us to count the cost. But he also said, leave it all and follow me. Sell all your possessions, he said to the rich young ruler, and come follow me. Leave everything, father, mother, brother, sister, security, money, finances, your dreams, your plan. Leave it all and follow me. And that's because, you know why he said that? Because he's the one in the garden who said, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Not my will but yours be done. Why? What would cause him to go ahead with something that made even the son of God to recoil? Scripture tells us it was for the joy that was set before him. To obey the father and to save you and to save me. And those have to be our motivation as well. For the joy set before us To believe that the joy set before us in obeying the Father is greater than the joy of following our will. To obey Him and to seek and save the lost around us. You see, this is in closing. This prayer is not only a wrestling, but it's a prayer of promised action. Anytime we see God meet people, And they see God in his 
beauty and his glory, he almost always, when we see it in scripture, immediately calls them to service and obedience. He calls them to take on a part of his mission and that they have a specific, unique part in that mission. Think about Moses. He comes to the burning bush. He sees God there. He meets God. Take off your shoes for where you stand is holy ground. God revealed himself to him. And then he said, I have a job for you to do. Isaiah in the, his vision, he sees the temple and he sees it filled with the glory of God. And it causes him to see his own sin and his people's sin. And he's undone. And, and then he hears God say, who will go? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? The apostles, whenever they come and meet Jesus, he says, I will make you fishers of men. And when Paul is knocked off the donkey, whenever he's knocked on his butt on the road to Damascus, he, Jesus reveals himself, but then he tells Ananias, I will or have shown him what he must suffer for my name. See, there's no coming to God as a child, as a son, as a follower, and not receiving his call to join him in his mission. Your will be done, not mine. It's also impossible to meet God and not want to be a part of his mission. It comes with a burden. That burden will pull you down. It will pull you in directions sometimes you otherwise wouldn't go. But it is a glorious burden because you get to share it with the Father. And if that in you is flagging today, what I'm calling you to is not to go out today and grit your teeth and do more things that you don't want to do for God. Your call is to call out to God, to be honest with him about where you are and wrestle that out with him. I don't know if I can truly say I want your will over mine today. I don't know if I want to, the, all the, the ripple effects that would change if I truly make your kingdom and your church and your plan for creation, if I made that the driving impulse in my life, it would change my career. It would change how I do things. It would change how I parent, how I'm a, how, who I date, what direction I go, all these decisions I make. And I don't know if I really want that. Wrestle that out honestly with him today. Stay there in that wrestling. But don't stay in your sin. Stay in his presence. Until you can say from the bottom of your heart, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Leave your restlessness behind in that wrestling until you can proceed for the joy set before you, for the obedience of the Father, and for his mission to save mankind. Church, let's pray daring prayers for his kingdom and let's wrestle and then commit ourselves for his will to be done for his kingdom to come for him to hallow his name above all things and you know what Jesus promised seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then what then all those other things what you wear, what you eat where your money comes from then all those things will be added unto you. It's a promise. I would bank on that. More than the stock market or anything else, I would bank on that.
Let's bank on that as a church. I'm going to pray and the band's going to come up. We're going to open up the front for communion. Uh, as we do so, if the Lord's been working in your heart, man, man, if you're in that space, you're like, I don't know if I can say, your kingdom come, your will be done. I don't know if I want to obey that. Man, you need to wrestle that out this morning with God. Maybe you need to surrender to him this morning. If you're here this morning and say, I don't know that I <laughs> actually am a believer. You need to wrestle that out this morning. The Lord, do I, do I count the cost? Do I want to bow my knee to him, confess my sin, repent of them, and confess him alone as Lord and Savior? Now's the time in the service to do that. If you're a believer in Christ, if you have experienced the new birth, we're going to have communion together, and we invite you to join us with that meal. There'll be a station on each side. You'll come forward on the outside. You'll receive the bread and the juice. Go back to your seat with those, and then Justin will come up uh, after the song, and he'll lead us together in communion as we finish worshiping Jesus Christ today. Father, we thank you that you are gracious to us, that even though all of us in this room have sought from our soul to do our will above yours, that you are so gracious and loving and full of mercy towards us. Lord, Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you won't allow us to stay in a place where we're looking for some other will, our will above yours. Lord, make us individuals and families and students and retirees and singles and just all together as a church, make us into a people who together cry, your kingdom come and your will be done and commit our lives as a part of that prayer to you so that it would come in our hearts and lives and then in our homes and neighborhoods and workplaces, Myrtle Beach and Conway and Horry County. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.